Welcome back. This weekend marks the second anniversary of the Russian invasion on Ukraine when Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a special military operation on the 24th of February 2022. Many expected victory within days, but Ukraine fought back, forcing Russian troops into humiliating retreats. Since then, however, Ukraine has suffered setbacks with the failure of its 2023 counteroffensive. But it remains defiant with President Vladimir Zelensky vowing Ukraine would defeat Russia. Well, Danica Obakon, Professor of Politics at DCU, joins us now on the line. Danica, this war is entering its third year. Is there any end in sight? No, there is no end in sight. Um, It's been a very difficult year for Ukraine. Uh, It's been a very difficult decade for Ukraine because you have to remember that Russian troops first invaded Ukraine not two years ago, but 10 years ago. And what happened two years ago was an intensification. In terms of where we stand, I mean, there's been very little movement uh, on the uh, front line. Um, You know, virtually nothing has changed really over the last 15 months. And you can look at that in a half full or a half empty way. On the one hand, Ukraine hasn't succeeded in pushing Russia back Uh, into Russia itself, but also Russia hasn't succeeded in advancing despite overwhelming, uh, you know, odds in its favour in terms of, you know, manpower, in terms of, uh, you know, military, uh, you know, production. And uh, the only fear now really for Ukrainians is that in the coming year that the support which it relies upon to overcome that asymmetry uh, is is in question um, within the European Union and indeed particularly in the United States with the forthcoming election and the prospect of Donald Trump returning to the presidency. Yes, military aid, a big issue. Can you tell us why? Well, quite simply, I, I think it was put well in that interview uh, by of Vladimir Putin by Tucker Carlson, where you know Putin had a direct pitch to the American people, where he said, "Look, Ukraine is in our interests, uh, we, and we're willing to fight for it. But is it in your interest in America? You could be spending the money elsewhere." And that appeals, of course, to you know a certain segment of of uh, the Trump particularly party, um, and and that's their their position. And sixty billion in aid has been tied up now in Congress for some time, and um, even if it does get over all the hurdles that are necessary, um, it puts into question further aid down the line. And Vladimir Putin is playing the long game. I mean, he has a dictatorship. He doesn't have to worry about the electorate, despite having an election uh, next month. Um, whereas he's facing, you know, not only the United States, but he's facing 27 EU democracies as well. And we have elections to the European Parliament in June. So, you know, again, the rise of people like Le Pen in France uh, or, or other far-right kind of movements within Europe could jeopardise further aid mm. for Ukraine. Does Ukraine have the appetite to keep defending itself? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any question that they have been under constant stress now and constant shelling for for years. So there is a war weariness. But, you know, they argue, well, what is the alternative? Um, You know, because as Vladimir Zelensky said yesterday, any normal person wants the war to end, but none of us want Ukraine to end. And that's a variation of that mantra that has been there from the beginning, that if Russia stops fighting, the war ends. But if Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine ends. So Ukrainians fight with a sense of duty to defend their country. It's not because they want to fight. And they ask you know, themselves, and indeed they ask the world, what happens if Ukraine loses? Because the implications will not only be relevant for Ukraine, but for Europe and indeed the world as a whole. The costs have been huge for Moscow as it seeks to, of course, navigate um, recent sanctions. Are the Russian people still backing Putin in this war? 
Well, it's very difficult ever to get an accurate picture of, of you know, Russian sentiment because there's no really independent appealing, uh, opinion polls there. And it's very difficult to, when you do ask people, you know, you know random questions, um, they're always worried about who's asking them and where the information will go. So they don't tend to speak openly. And they've seen in recent times, of course, with the death of Navalny, what happens to those who oppose the regime. I think what we saw last year uh, with the Prigozhin's rebellion uh, was how fragile uh, support is for Putin. You might remember how, how many Russians flocked to Prigozhin's support and, and nobody stood by the regime during that day in June uh, when they, they marched towards Moscow. So I, 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 certainly it is a fragile support, but it is a dictatorship uh, and it, does, it is able to focus its resolve on, on fighting in a war in a way that, as I said, is much more difficult uh, in a democracy. Um, but there is also low morale in, 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 in Russia as well in terms of the army. They don't rotate their troops. Many of the troops are conscripts or indeed have been released from prisons. Uh, the one thing they have, though, that Ukraine doesn't have right now are allies that are delivering ammunition. So, for example, the European Union promised one million rounds of ammunition uh, for Ukraine by March. That hasn't been uh, fulfilled, whereas North Korea, a much poorer country, has managed to deliver a similar amount of ammunition to Russia. And, of course, Iran has been supplying drones. So this is not just a, a Russia-Ukraine battle. This is a, you know, Ukraine is emblematic of, you might say, the democratic world in this respect. It's not getting that support, whereas the kind of kindred dictatorships in North Korea and okay. Iran are supporting Russia. And that might make the difference on the battlefield. And that's why a lot of people, particularly in Central and Eastern Europe, have been saying that, you know, there, there, there needs to be actions okay. to back up the, the urgency, which you hear rhetorically. Okay. Okay, Donico Bakon, Professor of Politics at DCU. Thanks for joining us.